So why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer and let's get started with this uh, last presentation. Father, we just thank you so much again for being so willing to share with us, Lord, the secrets of the universe. Thank you, God, that we don't have to be um, in front of the veil, Lord, but you take us past the veil. We ask and pray that we would see you some more, Lord, and understand uh, the beautiful things that you have in store. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. The last presentation is entitled Ellen White Outside Adventism. So, honored outside the church, we're going to be looking at some very interesting things regarding Ellen G. White. Now, uh, this woman has been one of the most special gifts that God has given to me. I know he has been a, a special gift given to you as well. Um, one of my very first encounters with this uh, woman, it took place when I was becoming baptized. The person who brought me to the Lord failed to tell me who she was. And so as we're getting the baptismal studies, and our Sabbath school teacher was giving us those studies, as he was talking about Ellen G. White, I never forgot, I turned to my friend, I said, who is this woman? He turned to me, he's like, ah, don't worry about her. Just like that. But, you know, that brother's changed a lot. But he's a good man. He actually brought me to the Lord. But in the beginning, he has some um, issues with Ellen White. But as he continued to grow in the Lord, he became very convicted about her writings. When I became a baptized Adventist, you know, I, I did, as I said before, I came from Hinduism. And Hinduism teaches pantheism, the idea that God is in everything. He's in the rocks. He's in the trees. I grew up coloring pictures of God, uh, a picture of a tree, and the caption saying, God's in the tree. I grew up uh, coloring pictures of the forest, and the caption would say, God's in the forest. Not that God created the forest, but that God himself is in the forest in actuality. And so this is the idea of pantheism. After I became baptized, um, one of the very first things I actually read in the writings of Ellen White was uh, volume chapter 9, where she actually deals with the subject of pantheism. She's writing to Harvey Kellogg, and she addresses the, the issue of pantheism with such clarity, it helped me to understand some things about God that I previously did not understand. So I praise God for those writings. When I was about to leave for school, to go up uh, an Adventist school up north, I never forgot one of the church ladies, sweet church ladies, she came to me and she says this. She said this, You need to see a difference between those who study the writings of Scripture and those who study the spirit of prophecy and scripture. She said, you will see a difference in their knowledge, in their devotional life, in their spiritual life, in their witness. And as I went to school, I noticed it. There was a, a line of demarcation between those who studied the spirit of prophecy with the scriptures and those who just studied the scriptures themselves. And it was so powerful. I never forgot. I was praying. I said, Lord, please bless me with some books. The day I was supposed to leave, somebody shows up. They open up their trunk, and there was all the red books. They said, here. These are all for you. And it was so awesome. I was like, yeah, praise the Lord. Praise God for them, right? We all have the red books. But you know what one, one, one preacher said? He said they ought to be called the unread books these days. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my uh, friends I, I just baptized, actually about two years ago, I did evangelistic series. He's just an awesome guy. His name is George. He just got, he got baptized two years ago. And, uh, you know, when you bring up Ellen White, you bring it up 
And, you know, you don't make it a, a, a doctrine that people die on. You, like Ellen White herself says, she says, have the people go forward and have them to trust and test them out themselves. And that's what I do. I, said, peop, I tell people the, uh, what we believe about Ellen White. And I said, you'll have to study out the writings for yourself to ultimately know what the truth is regarding this gift from God. But this friend, his name is George. I told him about that. And he, um, he actually said, okay, he'll check it out. And uh, a week later, he gets this call from his uncle, and his uncle was somebody who cleaned out houses for real estate. And the uncle said, hey, there's a box of books here. Do you want them? And George says, fine, I'll take them. But George is like, you know, after you go to an evangelistic series, you know how you're like, you're just like super careful of anything Catholic? I mean, that's how he was. He was like, I don't want to read anything if it's got just a little bit of Babylon in it. And so that's how he was. Well, it's so interesting. His uncle said, hey, I got these box of books. They were just there. Do you want them? You read a lot. So he's like, okay, I'll take them. And sure enough, they were the hardback cover of Ellen G. White's entire Conflict of the Ages series. It was the hardback book, so it was really expensive ones, too, um, if you come from, take it from a call porter. But anyways, uh, <laughs> anyways, so, but he got those books. He knew that it was a gift from God, and he was so blown away by it. I've been so blessed by her writings, and I have grown in understanding things. And she invites you to come in and to learn more about the truths that God has given to us. And so we're going to learn some interesting things about the spirit of prophecy. Here are some unusual, fascinating facts about Ellen G. White. During her ministry, Ellen G. White wrote more than 100,000 pages, a total of more than 25 million words. The text most often referred to in Ellen White's writings is Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. She mentions it 264 times. The text refers to Christians as the light of the world. More specifically, she says, you are the light of the world. Amen? And she let that light shine. One of Ellen's favorite hymns was, When Peace Like a River. She always asked for it when attending Hillsburg College, Colorado. Ellen White's favorite dishes were baked corn souffle, tomatoes, and macaroni. And tiny mustard greens cooked. And I think that's really interesting. Here's some more interesting facts. Ellen White's, <laughs> Ellen White's last known writing is a letter entitled The Victorious Life. She wrote this letter on June 14, 1914. You may read it in her book, Testimonies to Ministers. The letter is a message overflowing with hope and assurance for Christians. I challenge you to check out that, that uh, message. Ellen White was a lover of animals. Arthur L. White wrote that she knew how to feed and treat animals with affection. She abhorred any, abhorred any practice that brought pain or discomfort to animals. And she had firm words of disapproval for anyone who misused a horse or abused a cow. We can connect with environmentalists. Amen? Tree huggers, too. Okay. Grace White, um, the... Who is it? Grandwad Granddaughter of Ellen White stated that Mrs. White was a buoyant person. Never did we feel under a strain or stress in her presence. Amen. She had deep blue eyes, or deep blue gray eyes that were kind and alert. She looked at us with love. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, 5, 15 through 17. Jesus talked about prophets, but it's very interesting. We usually give sort of this interesting apologetic when it comes to, you know, Ellen White will state all the various reasons about why you should believe her to be a prophet. But Jesus actually hones in on one primary thing to identify a genuine from a fake. He says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their, what? Fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree 
bears bad fruit. In other words, the way Jesus identified a prophet was by their life. He actually honed in through in a, a very interesting form of apologetic. It was an experiential apologetic. In other words, as you partake of the fruits of her life, you will know very clearly whether or not that is good fruit or rotted fruit. Amen? And so this is very interesting. We're going to get into some um, unusual encounters that people have had with Ellen White, individuals who were not Adventists, and you can see through their unbiased, unprejudiced ways that, or in their mind, when they came into contract, uh, contact with Ellen White, they could clearly see that she was the real deal. Amen? This is what Ellen White says. Abundant light has been given to our people in these last days. Whether or not my life is spared, my writings will constantly speak, and their work will go forward as long as time shall what? Last. In other words, people are saying, well, we just, we, we, I wish we had a prophet to really shake things up in the earth, right, to set people right. But here's the thing. If we're not obedient to the light that God gives us, what's the purpose of God giving us more light? Amen? So you see what she says right here. She says, my writings, though, are going to last as long as time shall last. In other words, these writings are going to be used at the very end of time as well. Can you say amen to that? And I praise the Lord for that. They've blown just uh, me away as I learn more and more about God. My writings are kept on file in the office, and even though I should not live, these words have, have been given to me by the Lord, will still have life, and will speak to the people. Amen? It's like the story of Elijah and Elisha, right? Remember Elijah, the great prophet was? Translated, right? But Elisha, the Bible teaches that he did not, well, he was not translated. He actually got sick, and he died a very miserable death. But what's interesting about Elisha is that when he died and his bones were placed in a cave, one day another group of people walking by tried to hide a man who was also dead in the same cave. And the bones touched the bones of Elisha. And you know what happened? Or the man touched the bones of Elisha? He came back to life, right? Can you imagine that? One day Elisha gets to heaven and he says, How come I wasn't translated? You did this great thing with these other prophets. How come you didn't do anything with me? And then I imagine God says, Yeah. But how many prophets can resurrect people after they're dead? <laughs> Amen. Amen? And you take a good look at the writings of Ellen G. White. You see, even after her death, those who come into contact with her writings get life. Amen? And a beautiful picture of God. You see those writings that are abundant and they're there for us? We need to start taking advantage of them and start reading them. One of the things I want to challenge you to do is in this very next year is to finish every one of her books that she has written. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know. <laughs> Towards the third seminar, I get a little humorous. Okay. But here's the thing. I really want to challenge you with this, you guys. You guys should really seek. I mean, think about it. If there's knowledge in there that God has given us, that God has given to just to us as a people, then we need to take advantage of it. Amen? The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20, believe in his prophets and you shall prosper. I don't know about you, but I want to prosper. Amen? In all areas of my life, I want to take advantage of those writings. Now, this is a book written by W.A. Spicer. He was an old pioneer, and this is called The Spirit of Prophecy in the Advent Movement. I want you to write down that book title because you're going to want to get a hold of this book. He chronicles individuals who came into contact with Ellen White's writings who were unbiased, unprejudiced, who were not Adventists, and some of the things that they said. The Spirit of Prophecy in the Advent Movement. This is what he said. 
When the Desire of Ages was bought in Great Britain, a society lady, in other words, upper echelons, in Edinburgh, read a copy. She was agitated. She said to our people, you are a small people. You ought not to have the circulation of a book like this. It ought to be in the hands of the big London publishers. It seems inspired. Amen? Amen. Amen. I never forgot one day I was studying the, a Bible with, the, the Bible with somebody. And what I did, I, I, I gave him a, a Steps to Christ. And I said, hey, check out this book. It's a good book. It'll help you. The next day we study, he comes back, and he's like, he's like, man, I really love this book. He's like, it's like it's inspired. And I was like, you know it is. <laughs> in one of the large cities, a man was looking over books in the secondhand stores. He asked for the religious books and was directed to a miscellaneous assortment in the back of the book in the back of the store. He remarked to the proprietor that he saw none in which he was interested. Being asked which author he preferred, he said, Mrs. E.G. White. Now watch the response of the store owner. Oh, said the proprietor, that's different. Her writings are not classed with, with those books back there at all. We have them here in the front with the Bible. They are in a class by themselves. Amen? Amen. 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 Out of the mouth of storekeepers, thou hast ordained praise. Okay. Now, this is a very interesting experience, um, and this was at the very end of his chapter in this book entitled, The Writings Have Their Own Credentials. He describes how one Adventist who came into a university, the University of Massachusetts, and the professor had actually returned from a long trip in Europe who was studying literature. This woman was not an Adventist, but she came in on the very first day of class. She said something very interesting. She says, I'm going to share three quotes with you, and I want you to tell me about these three quotes. And sure enough, what she was sharing was actually from The Desire of Ages. But watch this. Well, class, that is from the pen of Ellen White. She spoke at length, saying that she knew nothing of the author's religion. In other words, the teacher didn't know anything about Adventism. But she felt able to declare herself as to the literature and said it was a pity that those writings were not better known in the literary world. She said she was going to make a strong statement, and by, but she meant every word. Of all the writings she knew, outside the Bible, there was none so full of beauty, so pure, and yet so simple as the writings of Ellen White. Can you say amen to that? Amen. 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 This is very interesting. This is one of the best-known archaeologists that ever lived. I mean, this brother had so many PhDs. I mean, like, it was the entire alphabet after his last name. <laughs> William Foxwell Albright was America's and perhaps the world's foremost archaeologist in the 20th century. He writes a lot about biblical archaeology. He earned his PhD from John Hopkins University at the age of 25. And during the next 50 years, he received 25 honorary doctorates from colleges, universities, and seminaries of Protestant, Roman Catholic, and Jewish faiths. He wrote more than 800 publications on archaeology, the Bible, Eastern subject, and this man was not a Seventh-day Adventist. In the 1950s, one of his doctrinal candidates at John Hopkins, the late Agar Johns, introduced Albright to Ellen White's writings. His curiosity peaked. The famous archaeologist undertook his own investigation of the life, work, and claims of Ellen White. And in his book, From Stone Age to Christianity, Albright named Mrs. White as one of the five individuals of whom he considered to be authentic prophets during the past 250 years. Can he say amen to that? Amen. The writings have their own credentials. Amen. By their fruits you shall know them. One of my, pa one of my friends who's a pastor up in Yuba City, before the, uh, he was actually an Indian pastor who was working in Yuba City, he said that he went to a Pentecostal convention and he saw the most remarkable thing take place. Apparently, 
one of the leaders and speakers of this Pentecostal convention, this took place a few years ago, stood up and he began to talk about different religions and different faiths. He then talked about Adventism. And you know what he said in front of all those Pentecostals? And he said, those Adventists, they have a real prophet too. If you don't use it, somebody else will. Amen? 1965, a German sociologist, Ermar Gard Simon, published her doctrinal dissertation in Munster, Westphalia. It dealt with Seventh-day Adventists in Ellen White. She actually did her doctorate thesis on this, and she studied out that group because she saw them as a completely different culture inside America, subculture. She said, in part, she was talking about Ellen White. In part, she was without fear of men, courageous and consistent. She struggled within the movement to solve the many problems. She solved problems which the churches did not expect to see solved in many decades. Simon was unable to find adequate scientific explanation for Ellen White's visions and remarkable experiences. She held the opinion that had Ellen White been a Roman Catholic instead of a Seventh-day Adventist, she might very well have been canonized in due course. Wait till you see what I have next for you. This is her speaking. In spite of her strong, yes, ecstatic union with God, this woman is not a Seventh-day Adventist. She rarely lost the ground of reality. On the contrary, she tackled many practical questions in life. Undoubtedly, it was, it was the established fact of her mystic vision of God, which worked as a powerful radiance on her fellow believers, enabling her to be their leader without holding on to an official office in the church. Now, this is where it gets very interesting. She functioned as a messenger between God and the churches. Through her, the members had in part in the divine being. You can see a little New Ageism right there, but this explains the strong position E.G. White had won among Adventists. In spite of her high position, E.G. White never fell for the temptation other founders of various movements have done, where they claim to be elevated, them, where they claim to be elevated themselves above the weaknesses of human flesh, but was a servant and did not claim the honor that belongs to God. Thus, wait, 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 wait. The Seventh-day Adventists still live on the spirit of E.G. White, and only so far as this heritage lives on do the Adventists have a future. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Hey, man, I got tingly stuff going up my spine right now. <laughs> Praise the Lord, folks. God has given us the real deal. Amen? amen. Now, this is very interesting. This is Florence um, B. Stratmeyer, and she was actually somebody who did a lot of reformation in the educational system of America, not a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm going to show it to you. Wait, just wait a second. Not a Seventh-day Adventist, but she did a lot to reform the educational system, designing curriculums during the 1950s and 1960s. This woman is well-known in the educational world. She was invited to speak about education to a group of Adventist teachers. Not being an Adventist herself, watch what she says. Recently, the book Education by Ellen G. White has been brought to my attention. Because you ain't reading it. Okay. Written at the turn of the century, this volume was more than 50 years ahead of its times. And I was surprised to learn that it was written by a woman with but three years of schooling. The breadth and depth of its philosophy amazed me. Its concepts of balanced education, harmonious development, and of thinking and acting on principle are advanced educational concepts. The objective of restoring in man the image of God, the teaching of parental responsibility, and the emphasis on self-control in the child are ideals that the world desperately needs. Can you say amen to that? But she ain't done yet. <laughs> Mrs. White did not necessarily use current terms. In fact, she did not use the word curriculum in her writing. 
But the book education, in certain parts, treats of important curriculum principles. This is a woman who has a PhD in mastering education curriculum. This woman was writing curriculums, and yet she was saying about Ellen White, this woman knows the most important aspects of designing a curriculum. By their fruits, you shall know them. She was concerned with the whole learner, the harmonious development of mental, physical, and spiritual powers. Today, many are stressing the development of the intellect, but feelings and emotional development are equally important. In our changing society, the ability to act on thought and terms of principle is central. It is this harmonious development that is so greatly needed, yet so generally neglected today. I am not surprised that members of the SDA church hold the writings of Mrs. White in great respect and make them central in developing the educational program in their schools. Can you say amen to that? Folks, this is something that we need to understand that God has blessed us with her writings and made us the head and not the tail. Can you say amen to that? In fact, when you go to India, what you will find as the most effective form of evangelism is not just evangelists who go in there and they'll preach a week of prayer, which I do, or an evangelistic series, which others do. Nothing wrong with those things. But what is the most effective form of reaching Indians who have nothing to do with the Christian God? Education. You will find that the educational system really helps people understand who God is. Why? Because it's a complete cultural understanding, not simply an intellectual one. They're seeing God in the teachers. They're seeing God in the curriculum. And they become so convicted that they, they want to come back to that school and help out. Folks, God has given us such a special gift in the writings of Ellen G. White. Can you say amen to that? Now, this guy is very interesting. He was a professor. And I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his first name. Professor Mizunu of Japan's Tamagawa University and formerly head of Tokyo's Museum of Science and Director of Social Education for the Japanese Ministry of Education recommended education to parents, teachers, and students. He called it the most profitable reading in our understanding of the new education. Education, written by the inspired pen of Ellen G. White, has for 50-some years been a well-known book which has rendered the greatest possible service and joy to students, teachers, and parents the world over. When I was studying at the University of Illinois, it was my privilege to read the book in its original language. I was profoundly moved by the book at that time, and it has been my desire ever since to recommend it to the educators in Japan. It is my sincere joy to hear that the book has been finally translated into the Japanese language. In fact, this isn't just the only account. There are a lot of non-Adventist Japanese educators that have taken hold of the book education and have been really trying to inculcate it into the current education system. Folks, by their fruits you shall know them. Amen? And these are non-Adventists. And you know, what really bugs, my, bugs me more than anything is when you have Adventists who are the worst, the worst at when it comes to talking about Ellen G. White. You ask an Adventist, so wh why do you... Why do you read these writings? And they'll say something foolish like, oh, my mom read that. My mom told me to read it. Or they'll say something like, she was just like this woman who had like dreams. And yeah, just read it. <laughs> wow, that really sounds convincing to me, you know. Anyways. Uh, no, I'm going to stop. This one's going to be a funny story right here. The Minister of Education of a Southern European country has been studying at Teachers College, Columbia University. He had come to the United States for the newest and best in educational policy and program of the newborn state. 
Upon his return to Southern Europe, Raja R, they actually, I'm not going to pronounce that, blah, 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 authored a work on religious and moral education. It was written in the Serbian language, published by the State University Press, and acclaimed by that institution as the best book on religious education at that time, in that language. When Adventist church leaders in Serbia read the work, they recognized it immediately. It was a translation of Ellen White's education with an introduction written by the Serbian minister of the education. 80% of the new book came directly from Ellen White's pen. The brother plagiarized her writings. He plagiarized her writings. Now you think she was like, wait a second, is that good? Is that bad? Here's the thing. If you take the credit for yourself, ultimately in the end, it's bad. If you give God the credit, that's where it goes. You know, when I sometimes, uh, you know, uh, when I was working in Royal Grande as a youth pastor many moons ago, I would sometimes visit these Sunday schools and, you know, just to try to answer questions, you know, things like that. And uh, so I raised my hand and I never forgot, like, I was, I was like, quoting scripture, and then I would quote some things from Ellen White, but I would say it like it was like my own thing. And uh, I never forgot the Sabbath school teacher stopped, and he's like, he's like, he said this, this is so funny, he said this, he said, you ought to be up here teaching. And finally he said to me, he's like, where'd you get that knowledge? And I was like, well, I don't know where I got it from. But you see what happens? I didn't give God credit, but what I was trying to do was trying to show this man that there is things out there that he needs to study up more. It's a very interesting uh, encounter. Paul Harvey, very interesting man right here. Who knows who Paul Harvey is? He's quoted in every evangelistic series, right? This man never became an Adventist. Some claim that he became an Adventist. Him and his wife actually went to Adventist church for a number of years, but they themselves actually never became baptized Adventists. I read the, the letter from the pastor of that church that actually talked about them. But this individual came across her writings, fell in love with her writings, and this is what he wrote. In 1960, Paul Harvey, American Broadcasting Company news commentator and the United Feature syndicated columnist, wrote a 16-paragraph article featuring Ellen White. It began, Once upon a time, 100 years ago, there lived a young lady named Ellen White. She was as frail as a child, completed only grammar school, actually she never really finished the third grade, and had no technical training, and yet she lived to write scores of articles and many books on the subject of healthful living. Remember, this was in the days when doctors were still bloodletting and performing surgery with unwashed hands. This was, an era, this was in an era of medical ignorance bordering on barbarism. Yet Ellen White wrote with such profound understanding of the subject of nutrition that all but two of the many principles she has espoused has been scientifically established. That's very interesting, coming from a man who was also considered one of the best-known broadcasters and most, one of the most honest broadcasters of all time. You know, I've been coming across more and more, a lot of people, you bring up the health message. I mean, 10 years ago, this is very interesting. 10 years ago, you brought up the health message or you presented an evangelistic series. Do you know the difference between clean and unclean meat? Then we get to vegetarianism, and then we eventually get to veganism, right? We talked about the, we talked about the provision, then we talk about uh, good, then we talk about the ideal. But many times after something like that, people would say, well, I don't believe in the biblical law of clean unclean meats. No one does that anymore. In other words, no one argues that point anymore. Why? Because science has shown over and over again the clear distinction between food that's good and not good. That point is not even argued anymore. I, I, I've done like five evangelistic series every year in a row at my church. The first year, people would sometimes come up to me and say, well, let's show this clean, unclean thing meaning the Bible a little bit more. Now, no one denies it. Everyone says, yep, that's very clear. We can see it. It is there. 
the, the writings of Ellen G. White are becoming more and more used, and people can see just the truthfulness of what she was saying well ahead of her time. Can you say amen to that? And you can use health for anything. I mean, as an Adventist, you can bring up health. People just want to hear more and more and more about it. You know, me and my friend actually went into a Jamba Juice. Love that place. Went into a Jamba Juice, and uh, we were just talking about the, the different fruits and vegetables that were being used. And the girl that was there, she was like, listening to us because we're just like, uh, I don't want to eat that right now because I'm going to get this problem. I don't want to eat that. I'll get that problem. But I'd like some of that because I need some of that energy. And she's like, are you guys like medical professionals? <laughs> and I'm not sure she was saying it so much because I'm Indian or she was saying it more because like what we're talking about. But here's the thing. Here's the thing to understand. And this is the thing to understand is that those writings, what she's saying about health, people want to know about it. People want to know about it. I actually spoke in Loma Linda um, a couple months ago, and I told them they needed to be healthy. That's what I told them. Spiritual healthy is what I said. But then I told them they needed to expand the borders of the health message to nearby cities, not just be concentrated in one area. And uh, it's very important for us to really use this and work it. I mean, I work it. I work it so much. We did a health fair at our church, and I was coming across different people, and I would say, hey, you want to know who are the most longest living people in the entire earth? They're like, who? Seventh-day Adventists? <laughs> And they would say, really? I'm like, yeah, come to this health fair. You'll find out more about them. You've got to work it. And it's not arrogance. I want these people to be saved. Amen? So, I mean, work it. Use it. That health message system works. Amen? You don't use it. Somebody else will. Now, this is a study that came out. Actually, it was in, the, it was in uh, um, it, you can find this on Barna's website. Barna's considered the most recognized Christian authority on getting statistics and doing research. Pastors under the age of 40, meanwhile, were more likely, twice as likely, to mention books on prayer. Only half as likely to include the purpose-driven life. And just one-sixth as likely to place the purpose-driven church in their top-ranked volumes. In fact, one-third of all pastors over 40 mention at least one book by Rick Warren. Just 14% of those under 40 did so. The under 40s pastors championed several authors who were not ranked highly by older church leaders. These authors included business consultant James Collins, seminary professor Tom Rayner, 19th century Seventh-day Adventist icon Ellen White. And these are, this was an interview done across American pastors, okay? You know what they were saying? That one of the top authors these pastors have for inspiration under 40 years was Ellen G. White. One of my friends who works at a non-denominational church came to me a few weeks ago and he says, hey, guess what I found in my pastor's library? I go, what? And he, showed me, he told me about this giant Desire of Ages, like the, like the wooden covers. I mean, he said, she ha he has this. And it's really cool to notice that God has not left every man without a witness. Amen? amen. He gives a witness. He is the light to every man's world. Can you say amen to that? Amen. This was uh, somebody, an editor, who wrote in the Toledo, who was, bas it was basically the newspaper, the Toledo Blade. It was the newspaper at that time. And this the editor was not an Adventist, but this was at the time of her death. He wrote this. Mrs. White early manifested some of the gifts of prophecy. With the formation of the Church of the Seventh-day Adventists, she immediately developed an influence, and that influence was maintained to her to the hour of her death, a period of 70 years. Besides unusual talents as a preacher, she had organizational and administrative powers. These were all given to her church. It prospered and grew until it, would, until it has spread through many lands. Universities were founded, medical schools, hospitals, and schools for teachers and missionaries. Mrs. White, Mrs. White was a remarkable woman. 
She has, had she lived in an, an earlier period of the career of Christianity and escaped the bigots and the fire, she would have most surely been canonized. We heard that before. She was of the flesh of which saints are made. He pontificates at the end. But it's so interesting to see something. You have people who were not Adventists, yet were testifying to the truthfulness and just the, her life, how legitimate it was in really representing Christ. Can you say amen to that? It was so interesting. I had this uh, uh, unusual encounter. I was actually, this guy that I've been studying the Bible with, I mean, he's just very difficult to deal with. I mean, just difficult. Like, I mean, I, I really appealed to him. You know, I just kept appealing day after. Every time we Bible studies, appeal. I mean, I just laid on heavy and thick where it's just like almost borderline, borderline eternal hellfire, but not like that. But I mean, I was just laying out thick on him. Anyways, I could not get anywhere with that guy. One day I gave him a, a, a book to read. And I, this was several weeks later. And he calls me up out of the blue. He says, he says, Pastor, can I come in? And I'm like, yeah. And he comes in, and he just like marches in. And he just sits down on the chair, and he says, I want to be baptized. I go, why do you want to be baptized? And he said, that book you gave me written by that guy, it just really spoke to me. I want to get baptized. And I was like, what's he pointing to? And he was pointing to the steps to Christ had given him. But he was calling Ellen White a guy, though. <laughs> he, was like, he was like, that guy. I guess he thought maybe it was Edgar G. White, not Ellen G. White. But either way, here's something to understand. I mean, I preached my heart out to this brother, and it won't work. As soon as the Holy Spirit convicted him in his time alone with those writings, he came forward and he says, I want to be baptized. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Oh, the Lord does the work. Amen? amen? The Lord does the work. Now, this is a very interesting story. You can actually find the story still on YouTube and uh, just type in Alfred Lee Painter. And this is a very interesting encounter that he had. He's interviewing Danny Shelton. So he's interviewing with Danny Shelton. So you can see that there. But basically what takes place is that he was up at Weimar College uh, and uh, he was getting some treatment there. He's a well-known painter. And he was painting that picture right there. And uh, some of the, one individual was there. He was a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Joe Kagan. And Joe Kagan was actually used to work for um, the uh, cabinet for Ronald Reagan. He was a well-known rabbi, and he helped, uh, helped the you know, president understand more about the Jewish culture. And he was a liaison between him, between the president, and with a lot of Jews in America. He understood Hebrew. He had doctorates in Hebrew. This man was a well-known scholar, and he got sick, and he went to Weimar. He, um, Alfred Lee was talking to him one day and getting some descriptions about the Old Testament so he can put, make them in his painting. And Joe Kagan helped him out with that, but he really despised Christians. And the reason why he despised Christians is because his mother was raped. Well, you say, well, what's the, what, how does that connect with uh, despising Christians? His mother was raped while a Catholic priest with the cross stood over her and said, you deserve this. And so he utterly hated Christians, despised the God of the Bible, really had no taste for Jesus whatsoever. I mean, he was just really, just completely just angry towards the New Testament concepts that are there. Well, he gets sick, ends up going to Weimar, and Alfred Lee starts talking with him. And uh, as he's there, Joe, in his spare time there, discovers a book, Patriarchs and Prophets. And he starts reading it. And he comes to Alfred Lee and he says, who wrote this book? Alfred Lee says, well, it was written by, you know, this woman who is one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And then he says, did this woman know Hebrew? 
Alfred said, no, she only has a third grade education. He said, the rhythm, the symmetry, and the meter, it's as if it was translated from Hebrew into English. And he says, this woman must know Hebrew. And he's like, no, she doesn't know Hebrew. And then the next thing he said was, he was so blown away with, he said, where did she get this knowledge? Because what she's writing in the Old Testament is from the Mishnah, which was basically a commentary that many Jewish scholars were putting together, and it wasn't released until 30 years later to the world. And he says, what she is writing comes straight out of the Mishnah. How did she get this knowledge? And so Alfred Lee began to explain to him about that and explain to him about Jesus and about the end-time church. This man, Joe Kagan, was baptized in the river uh, in Sacramento. And he even said at his baptism, I am now a complete Jew. <laughs> he said, after his baptism, he said, I accept, uh, he says, I believe in Jesus. I believe that God inspired this woman. And I believe that finally I understand the, the puzzle piece that was missing in my life. He says, I am a complete Jew now. Folks, God has blessed us with these writings. Amen? And he wants us to do something very special with them. He wants us to read them, but he also wants us to share them. This is actually the interview. You can, like I said, find it on YouTube. Just type in Alfred Lee Painter Testimony, and you'll find out more about that. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20 says, Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. God wants you to prosper. Amen? And he has given the special gift. And the more you read it, the more you begin to understand more about God's plan, his character, and his will for your life. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much again for the many ways you have blessed us. And Lord, thank you so much for the gift of Ellen G. White and her prophetic ministry, Lord. And I can't wait to get to see her in heaven and give her a big hug. Lord, thank you, God, that our works, even after the time we pass away, still carry on. Lord, continue to work a special work in us, Lord, that if we are gone before your second coming, that we will still be a light to this world some way. Thank you, Jesus, for I share in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.